0: I've heard a million times and the first time I ever heard it was a costume designer when I was a teenage girl and I said, oh, I like this. It feels good and I feel pretty in it. And she said, well, you may, but what do you think other people are going to think of you in it? And it really shut me down and I remember thinking, am I going to be a person who does everything for what everybody else is thinking or do... I lead with what feels good to me.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to No Limits. I'm your host, Rebecca Jarvis. And if you're a frequent listener, thank you. We really appreciate that loyalty. If you're new, welcome. I hope you like what you hear here. Each week we are working to demystify this thing called success. I talk to the world's most influential women across all different industries, and the conversations here are meant to go beyond the resume. We talk about decision-making, the trade-offs, the pivotal moments that shape our careers, and what it really means to be happy inside of a job. So whether you're looking for advice or you just want to hear a good story, you've come to the right place. So We have an incredible guest with us today. I'm looking across at her. Most of you know her as Renata Klein, the best character on Big Little Lies. She also has been nominated and or won pretty much every award under the sun, Academy Awards, Emmys, Golden Globes. She's a producer. She's also a business investor. She is an investor and has a partnership with True Botanicals, a San Francisco-based skincare startup. She's been in countless movies, Star Wars, Jurassic Park, Blue Velvet. One of my personal favorites, Enlightened, a show that I honestly, it was supposed to be a trilogy. I wish that it was because it was truly one of the most enlightening things I've ever seen. And I'm not just saying that. Welcome to No Limits, Laura Dern. Thank
0: you. I'm so happy to be with you.
1: I'm thrilled to have you here with us. And in particular, I'm really curious to get to know a little bit more about your story and also why now you're investing in companies and thinking as a businesswoman. So we're going to get to that in a minute. But let's go back to the beginning. You grew up child of actors. Was it always something
0: you wanted Uh, You know, I watched both my parents uh, one summer, the summer I was uh, seven years old, working with two of our greatest filmmakers ever, Scorsese and Hitchcock, and fell so in love, not just with acting as a craft or a job, but the specific dynamic and collaboration between a filmmaker, an auteur, and an actor. And so for me, that was the thing that I fell in love with. And thought that I would love to be part of that conversation. You know how to create empathy around revealing the brokenness in people. Like that was the conversation these filmmakers were having, and the movies that my parents and their friends were making in the late seventies really showed me um, what it could be like to be part of storytelling as a job. And uh, that's what I fell in love with. How did they feel about that? Were they encouraging of you pursuing the craft? Uh, you know, I my parents divorced and I was living primarily with my mom who was clocking it more on, uh, on the regular. So she was much more reticent. Um, I think both because she was seeing my passion growing and she was a woman. Mm. Seeing her daughter, uh, her sort of prepubescent daughter saying, I want to enter a world where Through the audition process, there will be rejection, judgment, potential body shaming, like all kinds of stuff could be thrown at a young girl um, or boy, for that matter. Um, And not to mention that it can be a, a dangerous workplace environment. So I think she was scared, but she also saw after a couple of years of really dedicating myself to studying Um, that it wasn't going away. So she let me do a little bit of work here and there as long as I remained in school and actively involved with athletics and student body government and all kinds of stuff. I couldn't just sort of be there.
1: Yeah, Um, I read that you were were swimming, you were running track, you were student body president.
0: Oh, yeah, she made (laughs) me. (laughs) <laughs> she made, mom forced me? Yeah. She forced me to be very engaged to prove that I was willing to have the sacrifice of having this other passion as opposed to it being a way out of not having to go to school.
1: Did you like those things? Were you actually enjoying them or were you kind of just checking off a box to make your mom happy?
0: I love swimming. So I, you know, I did, of all the team sports I, I did, I did really care about swimming and I was into it. And I loved dance. I loved all things, you know, theater. And I loved student government because <laughs> I, you know, have a really big mouth. You're going to change things. <laughs> what was your platform? Do you remember? Getting the teachers paid and getting a real endowment for them and starting to learn about how little teachers were paid. Like that was a big focus here. We were in a very privileged um, upper echelon private school in Los Angeles and our teachers weren't making hardly anything and looking at insurance for teachers in this country. And that was a big turning point for me, starting to understand, which is a narrative we can continue as we talk about investing even, um, to understand not just your experience, but the experience of everyone else serving this moment for you and how they are treated, how they are honored, um, and... I think my parents taught me that in terms of looking around at a film set Mm -hmm. who makes a movie. Yes. You know, and as a child on movies, I, when I started, the script supervisor was the only other female on the set. My makeup and hair was done by men. It was all men um, other than maybe one or two other actresses. and, And like I said, the script supervisor. So, you know, I, I wasn't noticing that. It was pointed out to me and it was a great way to be educated. On the Scorsese project, your mom
1: starred in that film. You were an extra, I read, and yes. you got nineteen ice cream cones.
0: Yes. Now I, I don't remember it as specifically <laughs> as as my mom and Scorsese, who has been so loving and generous to me, uh, about that that memory, um, saying that yeah, after these many takes and having to eat that many ice cream cones and not getting sick, he told my mom in front of me that I was going to be an actress. And I used that to my, <laughs> to my benefit <laughs> for quite a number of years.
1: I think it's interesting, though. I've read a lot about your background and your experience. And there are definitely sort of pitfalls, I guess, that young actors tend to fall into. And for whatever reason, you didn't go down that path.
0: I mean, you know, we all go down the path of identity and self-care, self-loathing, insecurities, doubts. So I, I like everyone, have had to learn how to be kind to myself and a champion of myself and... Getting out of stigmas that culturally I learned about what it is to be a female and what is my place and not to be outspoken or not ladylike or um, comfortable with the word ambitious. Right. Um, was all, there a turning the point? That, um, I think now. I think I, I. I think it's been a long journey. You know, I was raised around deep feminist activists. So I learned at an early age that I should use my voice and educate myself. That was clear. And I think I've always had that um, for better or for worse, trying to use one's platform as a a human being on the planet, not as an actress per se. Um, But growing into the awareness that, you know, women supporting each other to be leaders, to run businesses with consideration and empathy, to run for Congress, to make a difference about the workplace environment, like all all of those awarenesses in terms of how it's affected my own life and hopefully others has been really the last five years of my life. Hmm.
1: What do you think it is in these last five years? Do you think it's because sometimes I think about feeling in in many ways similar and I do think that part of it is where I am in my career, but also part of it is where the world is now. And suddenly various things that used to just seem like they would always be set in stone. I'm thinking about me too. We had um Jody Cantor and Megan Tuey, the journalists at the New York Times, on the program No Limits as well. Amazing. There was a major sea change after they started writing articles, and the reaction to those articles about Harvey Weinstein was different than the reaction than you've seen in any other case.
0: I think that when extraordinary journalists like they are um, allow the narrative to be the focus that says one voice may be terrified— to be the one that stands up. But when that one voice does, many, many voices will follow. And that message being sent out has been a paradigm shift in culture um, everywhere. In in industry, for, for men and women, um, for the fight for representation, for the fight for respect, that is a massive change because what we've learned... And I, and I don't think it's just that case per se, but current government, um, everywhere we look, what has shifted is the bullies have become so glaring and their methods so glaring that we realize we're all experiencing it. So no longer are the days of you're the only one that's being treated like this because mm-hmm. you're less. I've isolated you and targeted you 'Cause you're the weak one I'm gonna do this to, and if you play your cards right, you're gonna get these benefits. It's like when you hear someone talking like that, you immediately know that's a bully, and there are a hundred of us who've been given this rhetoric by this person. Right. This politician, right, this leader, this, you know, movie producer, whatever it is. Um, and that's amazing. That there's a generation of young girls and boys who are being raised to understand that this is not an isolated circumstance. You're 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 in normalized behavior when a bully is targeting you, um, and you have to use your voice to stop them because you actually have more power than they do. That's the sea change. I I believe, and I I do think we can change government and methodology and business and the environment with that awareness. I mean, as we're seeing in the news, because suddenly whistleblower is a word in headlines more and more. And that's really exciting.
1: You wanted to be, did you want to be a journalist? Because when I was looking at UCLA and you originally went there, I think, to study psychology and journalism. Wow. You guys are
0: researching.
1: (laughs) You're like, and that was a while ago. But Um, but is that something
0: that you really strongly believed that you might be someday? Um, I don't know that I was studying it to become a journalist. It was deep admiration for voice and getting the truth out. So I was interested in the truth through acting, through psychology, mm-hmm. through journalism, through social justice. Like that was my interest. Like how do we become transparent? How do we push for truth and and live authentic lives through meditation, through spiritual practice, like whatever it was that seemed to be what I was seeking. But <clears throat> I have the most respect for journalists and the truth that they have given us. Um, And I am not only the daughter of an actor, but the daughter of an actor who, when I was 12, started her now, you know, 30-plus-year path um, to tell the true story of the life of Martha Mitchell. And she became very close to Helen Thomas, who I got to know and be around a lot as a child and be in D.C. a bit because of it. And so I learned... A luxurious amount uh, about um, the truth and how people's voices and women's voices over time in history have been shut out or squashed um, to kind of keep keep a lie going, and that that was a big theme in my childhood in terms of watching her research more and more deeply. When you are searching for that
1: truth in a character, do you have a process that you repeat every time or or is it kind of a different thing every time?
0: I've never been asked that question. I- Hear more from Laura
1: Dern after a word from our sponsor. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer.
0: I've never been asked that question. I love that question. And I think it is different every time. I would assume it's as, as it is for you when you're investigating and when you're researching. Every story has its own um, paper trail, right? So we we just finished Little Women, which will come out this Christmas. And, you know, that investigation of this character – was extraordinary and like no other project I've ever worked on because the answers not only were in the original book, but in the original letters in being in the hometown of the Alcott's um, being in Concord, Massachusetts and meeting relatives and meeting extraordinary historians who told us the true story of the family that inspired that book to hold Not um, an iconic idea of this sort of fictionalized archetypes, but like the real people so that they can sustain and connect to us. Um, And Greta Gerwig, who was adapting it and directing it, uh, made that such a priority for herself. So that also inspired me to to dive deeper. And I was playing the the matriarch figure of the story. And so I wanted to then know it all so then I could inspire – my daughters, um, to kind of know the family that we were portraying. And, um, and that is so different than, you know, yes, how I would, uh, research any other character. Renata Klein, for example, (laughs) was there
1: someone that you based that character on? Is there one person? There's a number of people, but there are people. Are they <laughs> are they in Silicon Valley right now? Um, have you been approached there, to invest in their companies? There,
0: there may be there may be one in Silicon Valley, and there, you know, there are women all over this country who, you know, when you look at the numbers in terms of gender parity in the world of finance and in the world of tech, it's yes. it's pretty shocking and glaring. And so there are women who have had to be the only woman in the room in it, an even more extraordinarily uh, disparaging way than even the film industry, which is pretty horrifying. <laughs> so getting to know those women, I'm, I'm, you know, and there are women who were so inspiring in the world of finance, in the world of tech, in Silicon Valley, in the world of publishing, who I talked to at length, who were so generous, um, to talk about what it's like to be the only woman in a boardroom of 13 and how men would listen and right. what would work to get them to listen and you know how you use wealth or fashion or strength or boys club talk to achieve the goal of affecting change in corporate america or affecting change for the good of the planet um that's a really interesting conversation to have with female leaders and That taught me a lot about Renata and who she is and how she played the game but then was left with no girlfriends.
1: That's an interesting point. So I would imagine, and there are a lot of women from Silicon Valley who have started companies who who talk about this on No Limits, but the
0: loneliness of being at the top. Because of the presumption from, I mean, in the case of Big Little Lies, other women who feel like they don't have that label and they don't want your shadow to make them feel less. So then they cut you down. It's it's back to bullying, you know, and mm-hmm. we do it too. And we have a lot to learn to champion and lift each other up as women, um, which I think is a a lot of what Big Little Lies focuses on, you know, the, the secrets that we don't even share with ourselves or our best friends about the life we're living. I mean, is is a huge theme in the show, and and what it is to be a friend and a champion to another woman is is really interesting. And I think the more women that are given opportunity, the more women there are to champion and support and lift another generation up mm-hmm. in the industry you're in, which is great. But for the women who were the first and only one, it it uh, you know it had to be quite brutal. Yes. Is
1: there anything that you could say that you specifically learned about women and their relationships to each other through Big Little
0: Lies? So many things, starting with when you have an experience of working with other women, which for many of us was rare when we started. Right. And now it's shifting. You know, that's amazing. You know, when I'm with Hillary and we're having conversations about the health and beauty care industry, um, care being a word that is used but shouldn't be (laughs) most of the time, um, you know, we're talking about motherhood. We're talking about self-care. We're engaging in conversation that's a lot larger than the, the subject at hand. And Big Little Lies was the gift of a lifetime because I was with a family where we were, you know, on set as activists, as moms, as friends, living a life together. I mean, it's half a year of your life. So mm-hmm. you're covering all of it while you're also having this amazing experience working together. But I think, or I hope, we tried to infuse. In the storytelling, you know, what it is to not be alone anymore when you actually create deep, authentic truth in your life with with the women you love and in your relationships with your children, et cetera.
1: Well, and something that I, I like about it, and I don't know how intentional this is. I'm assuming that it is relatively intentional, but the idea that you can have these deep relationships with people who aren't identical to you. And I I feel like we live in this world right now where everything is about identity and do you match my identity? Do we like all of the identical things? And if we don't, we can't be friends. We can't even have a, a respectful conversation with each other. But within Big Little Lies, you have all of these women from very different backgrounds coming together.
0: Well, I love that you bring that up and and beautifully pointed out and eloquently pointed out because one of my favorite memories is when Meryl Streep, you know, because the gods smiled on us, um, <laughs> showed up in the world of Big Little Lies uh, being, you know, a hero to all of us. One of the things that I loved is she pointed out early on in in reading the new scripts and talking about the first season is how much she loved the friendship between myself and Reese Witherspoon's character Mm -hmm. as one of the most authentic friendships she'd seen because we kind of hate each other, but we have a sort of amazingly supportive friendship. Yeah. And it is quite delicious. Like we hated each other. But we so admire each other and we're forced through the realization that we actually have each other's backs, that there is a real deep bond there and that it doesn't have to come from immediate Mm like-mindedness. And that's a great place to start in building a friendship. And again, as an American, it's an interesting place to start, right? That we don't necessarily have the same value systems but we can forge a friendship to achieve real conversation and hopefully affect change like we have to get there or we are all going to lose um and that's not my nature like i am looking for the people who share my point of view and you know can go straight there with great rage and passion <laughs> about issues that we care about and that matter to us but There's real deep dialogue to be had when you have a different point of view. Mm -hmm. And you can even be mean about it and then start to listen to the other person. That's what my family was like, at least.
1: A lot of differing opinions very loudly spoken to one another. But at the end of the day, we all love each other. Um, (laughs) When, When I would imagine that you get approached all the time to invest in businesses that, you know – to some degree, people are coming to you. You're Laura Dern. Will you will you put your name on this? Will you give us whatever you can afford to give us? Why true botanicals?
0: Well, you know, I will say it's it's a new day because no one did for a long time. And even as female actors, we would talk about how the boys would have companies coming to them. Interesting. To, be the face of or the voice of or invest. Um, And I've talked about it recently that like, this is a new conversation for a lot of women of my generation and, and Meryl's generation who came up in the arts um, to, to invest time or money or face or name to something. Um, And this is, you know, it's it's an interesting moment where you can bring your conscience to uh, how you promote and right. how you invest and how you um, make su- a success story for a company. Things you want to see more of in the world, and you know, we were all deeply involved. A number of us in in the beginning of Time's Up and and having a lot of conversation around gender and diversity parity. Um, and that's all nice until you start to learn that the companies that you invest in even as a consumer may not have the narrative that you want to stand by in terms of how they care for the planet, how they care for animals, how they care for human beings, um, the story that they tell, uh, the transparency they have with you know, their ingredients. And so what I love about having this amazing relationship with True Botanicals is there is no more um authentic or transparent story than I was a consumer that was on a surface level wanting to on set have my skin look healthy and look pretty in a show being big little lies and Uh, I found with my makeup artist a product called Pure Radiance Oil, and we started using it originally to use the oil to add, you know, a dewy, glowy skin look to the makeup. And it was so beautiful that I stopped wearing foundation, and the oil literally became my foundation because it just allowed my skin to show through on screen. So... Suddenly, to be an actor who felt more honest and transparent by not feeling a ton of makeup on me, and have people say, Oh, your skin looks so good. And again, just on a surface level, it was like, Oh, wait a minute. Then I start to learn more about the company, learn that it's a female run and led company, learn about the consideration and the consciousness behind the company and the research behind the company. Not only that it works better than the other products, but that in fact, they've done their due diligence to research and to really be chemical free and to really care about organic farming and how they're feeding our our bodies and um, our skin. And so as a consumer, I fell in love with the whole line and then wrote a love letter to the, head really? of the company. And what did the love letter say? Basically said, I have fallen in love with your products. I want to thank you as an environmentalist for making a difference, for giving my skin health and beauty and having it work equally beautifully for my, at the time, 13-year-old daughter um, to have my son using it. So as an environmentalist, as a parent, as an actress, as a woman, you know, thank you. You're amazing. There's nothing like this. And, uh, you know, just want to give you a shout out. That was literally the goal in mind, but it then developed an amazing relationship with the company. And, you know, like Olivia Wilde, who has invested her time and her heart into this company, um, I, I can't think of a more beautiful, way to spend my time than want to grow um, companies that are female-run that really consider the planet and you know the next generation that just work better, um, that have done their homework in every way, and that they consider not only what it does for us, they consider the people who pick and pack our food and our products. They consider how they're treated in the process of farming what they use in the product. I mean, that's a level of integrity that, you know, the woman leader behind this is in deep consideration of. And, you know, it's a slippery slope when you're trying to make a product that works and you want to make money. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. this narrative saying, like, actually, it's easier. Actually, it works better. If you do your research, if you get things in place, helping the planet and helping other people actually makes money and is the future of business. And that's, you know, as we have heard politicians in the last 20 years let us know that green business was the way of the future. You know, there's been a lot of business at stopping that. But now that we're starting to see these independent companies grow, we realize that's the truth. That's the truth of, of the country and certainly the planet.
1: And it sounds like you're looking for more,
0: that you would oh, be yeah.
1: interested in investing in more companies like True Botanicals.
0: Deeply. And I I was, um, right around the time my children uh, were born, I was a spokesperson um, for an organization called CHECK, which was Children's Health Environmental Coalition. And it was all about healthy and safe products within the home and educating parents to understand that this environment that your child is going to spend most of their time in from you know birth to age 1 is one of the more toxic places on the planet the nursery and I didn't know that much about it and as I educated myself in terms of environmental alternatives and non-hazardous alternatives cleaning products everything I started learning about all these amazing companies and so this has been you know, an a path to be educated on and learn more. And I love working with with companies that that matter and are making a huge difference. So I am really excited to continue to do that.
1: Uh, I brought up Enlightened at the beginning. I am so happy you did. I, well, it it honestly it was it was I would call it whimsical. I don't know if that's how you would think of it, but it just there was something uplifting for me about watching that show, and I thought it was very very special and. For you, I would imagine it was really special because you played such a significant role in it, not just in being on screen, but in the creation of it, in the production of it. And I wonder what it was like to have it get so much critical acclaim and so much applause and everybody said how great it was. But for whatever reason, HBO didn't pick it up for that final season.
0: You know, well, I'll say a few things about it. I, I, one, how grateful I am that you watched it, and I hope more and more people find it because right now in this world we are all Amy Jellico, and there is yes. not, there is no more perfect show for our times, from my perspective, than seeing that character wanting to make a difference and feeling like she has no voice and no one's listening. It is ultimately about a whistleblower. So that's pretty interesting. And it is in the world of health and beauty and big food and big farming. That's true. Yeah. So it's really interesting. And there's a, a major immigration storyline interwoven in it and I mean it's 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 really interesting do you think we could get more Amy Jellicoe maybe I mean there has definitely been talk about it okay um and Mike White and I have talked about it and he's such an extraordinary writer and um you know it was such a gift to to say his words and to together kind of build and collaborate on who this character was um I you know, I think one of the biggest shifts is that we started and let's be clear, we were on HBO when there were no female complicated flawed female characters in half-hour comedy where comedies were super sad and dark. <laughs> that was not mm-hmm. a, a thing either. It was a very new time in that wheelhouse of it's half-hour but it's dark and sad and funny and complicated and she's really angry and not always likable. Um, you know, we were on at the same time as Sopranos. It was a very different moment in, in the world of cable television. And at the same time, we were still caught in a moment that was about Nielsen ratings and live television ratings. So HBO was trying to uh, define what shows to stay with at a time that people had just discovered Tivo and they right. weren't watching live television and we were on Sunday night television against things like the Super Bowl and the Oscars and the Golden Globes things people don't watch anymore and, no just kidding. you know and and the tragedy of the end of season 2 was you know our numbers a couple months after the show was mm. done um, and people started looking at TiVo numbers for the first time, were huge. Wow. And then we were, thanks to amazing critics, voted the number one show of the year on television and awarded, but a decision had already been made. And that was amazing. I mean, to to be found in that way, but now, thank God... There have been so many breakthroughs, and there's so much content, and characters are so deeply flawed and complicated, and you get to discover that people watch and consume these amazing pieces of art in very different ways, and you don't have to measure in one way, which mm-hmm. is a family sits together at 9 o'clock on Sunday night and watches. It just doesn't happen that way anymore. So – um But if ever a character, if ever I would love to see a character exist in the world (laughs) right now, it would be Amy. uh, And I hope many people watch Enlightened right now. Me too. Refreshing.
1: Um, Before we go, I ask everybody at the end of the interview about the worst advice they ever received. So, Laura, what's the worst advice
0: you ever received? Why is it that my brain goes to the opposite always?
1: (laughs) the best advice?
0: Yeah. People are like, you know, he is somebody who would be really bad for you. And you're like, I love him. Um, (laughs) So I'm like, what's the best advice? And I hear, keep your eyes on your own paper, which is the best advice I ever got from my fourth grade grade teacher, Mrs. White. I like that. That was really helpful. Um, The worst advice I ever got, I've heard a million times. And the first time I ever heard it was a costume designer when I was a teenage girl and I said oh I like this it feels good and I feel pretty in it and she said well you may but what do you think other people are going to think of you in it and it really shut me down and I remember Mm. thinking am I going to be a person who does everything for what everybody else is thinking or do I lead with what feels good to me um, so it was the worst advice and then it turned into uh, maybe, you know, a, a, a space for a space for a new paradigm shift.
1: Laura Dern, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Really appreciate it. Thank you. You're amazing. Thank you, you are so too. much.
1: Okay, it's the end of the interview, which means it's time for our No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week, where we feature one of you, our No Limits listeners, who's building something of your own. And this week's No Limits Entrepreneur was nominated by our longtime listener, Nan Waters. Thank you, Nan. The Entrepreneur of the Week is Kim McNeil. She is the president and co-founder of the Ross K. McNeil Foundation. They work to fight to end pediatric brain cancer. Here she is to tell you more.
0: Hello, my name is Kim McNeil. I am the President and Co-Founder of the Ross K. McNeil Foundation to End Pediatric Brain Cancer. My job entails running seven fundraising events every year and two campaigns. Also participating in pediatric brain cancer consortiums, the daily governance of the charity, public speaking and media interviews, and most certainly time spent with individuals and businesses to foster relationships to support our work. The one piece of wisdom I wish I had early in my career that's relevant to this work is to trust the hard experiences you have along the way. Certainly the four years that my son battled brain cancer has become relevant to this work. So the wisdom I think I draw upon is that the hard things are purposeful
1: such a worthy cause. And we really do appreciate the work that you do on their behalf. Kim, thank you. Wishing you continued success. And thank you so much to you, Nan, for the nomination. Remember, listeners, you can head over to my Instagram at Rebecca Jarvis to hear more from Kim and learn about the Ross K. McNeil Foundation. Also, if you or someone you know should be featured here as a No Limits entrepreneur, you can send me those nominations at nolimitswithrjpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to email me there, too. If you have career questions, anything you want to let us know, let us know there. Or, of course, you can do it on social media as well. We love that, too. Finally, a shout out to the team who helps make this happen each and every week. My producer, Taylor Dunn, editor Brittany Martinez, research assistant Lane Wynn, Thanks to ABC Audio, and we'll see all of you next week.